Please stand and join me for the prayer of illumination and scripture reading. Of course, it's on the screen. Let's all read it together. Eternal God, in the reading of scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be displayed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading, which is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 3 through 18. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. This is God's word. You may be seated. So now I have the privilege of being the guy who said I'm leaving and trying to preach a message that you want to listen to, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so about a year ago, I was introduced to uh, a man uh, from our community, and uh, this man had uh, been through all of the challenges of growing up uh, in our neighborhood, and uh, he shared with me his story of how uh, God uh, met him in a moment when he was sitting uh, somewhere with uh, his family, and they were uh, selling drugs, and he, said, he looked around, and he said, is this really what it is? Is this what my life uh, has uh, led to? And God began to chase him, and he, uh, he uh, got his GED, he got a job, um, and uh, on the job, he met a man who led him to Christ, uh, who then brought him to church, uh, where he met his now wife. He's been married for 22 years, has seven children, has started his own business, and now loves to go and share his journey uh, with other people, especially men who come from the same position he did. So when I heard his story, I said, please, will you come and share your journey uh, with our jobs partnership class? Uh, 
And so this past week on Thursday night, uh, he did just that. So he walks in um, to our building. Some of you have been to our building and uh, he says, man, it's so amazing to walk in this place. He says, because this is where I used to do all the stuff I used to do. This building used to be the place where uh, we sold drugs, we did all of this, that alleyway over there, this is what happened over there. And he said, now it's being used for ministry. So that's amazing. As he turns around the corner uh, inside, uh, one of our students uh, sees him and, uh, and they connect and, and kind of do a double take. And wait, is that you? They haven't seen each other in years. Uh, lo and behold, I didn't know this, uh, but this student and this man coming to share his testimony used to sit in that very same building years ago doing all of the stuff that they used to do. And so they connect, they give a big hug, and, uh, and so this man begins to share his testimony. And I have the privilege of sitting off to the side, and I'm watching both of them. I'm watching uh, this, this student who is a good friend of mine, and he's just listening. His eyes are transfixed on this man as he shares his testimony Um, because this is a man who's walked in his shoes and knows what it's like and so he uh, so by the time uh, the testimony is over I look back and this student the friend of mine is fighting back tears we give an opportunity to ask questions and he raises his hand and said to see you standing here telling that story means the world to me I know where you came from. I know what, used to, what you used to be involved in. We were, we were in it together. And now you're, you're married and you work and you've got your own business and you've made this big change. He said, I'm still out here. I haven't made that change yet. But seeing you is moving. Then he began, then this student began to talk about the ministry. He said, you know, this, this place hasn't given up on our community. Uh, our, 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 one of our mutual friends was, was killed uh, and the ministry could have said, we're done, we're out. Um, but they stuck around. This ministry could have uh, uh, told me about this job program. I didn't really believe it, but now here I am sitting in this room uh, learning about work and now here you are telling me your story. He said, all of this is just moving. You know, sometimes the only thing that we have in ministry is that we're still there. Sometimes that's all there is. Sometimes it's that we've endured through the suffering. Uh, Sometimes this is our strongest testimony, right? Why would anyone continue to do it? Why would anyone continue to suffer? Why? Because of the gospel. We're ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors uh, for Christ, his love compelling us out into a broken world to offer uh, the only hope that this broken world uh, can get, which is Christ became sin on our behalf so that we can become the righteousness of God. That's why. Why else would you do it? And for Paul, this is why he endured well also, because he knew it was worth it. The greatness of the message that he came to preach uh, was worth uh, in all of the endurance. And so that is what uh, we are talking about this morning. The first point I have uh, for you is great endurance in affliction. Great endurance in affliction. You see, the theme of 2 Corinthians uh, consistently is that Paul is defending his ministry. 
He's constantly d- defending it against uh, those who are skeptical, those who had their arms crossed, uh, those who uh, uh, were, were, were doubting uh, Paul, who, who found fault with his ministry at every corner. And so verse 3, uh, I would encourage you to have the, the passage in front of you because I'm definitely going to reference it a fair amount. In verse 3, he comes out and says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. Why? So that there will be no fault found with our ministry. Paul's heart was simple. His heart was simple for the Corinthian church to know Jesus. But his defense for why he does what he does is surprising. His defense was not, I have an eloquent message that no one else has. His defense wasn't, uh, I'm going to show you how the gospel is better than this thing. His defense in this moment is what? I've endured through affliction. We've been through hell on earth is what uh, Paul is saying. Uh, In order to bring you this message, we're not opportunists. Um, Why would we continue to do this? You're either crazy or you're convinced. And Paul was convinced. Paul was convinced that the message he has was the difference between life uh, and death for the Corinthian church. And so he'll, he'll endure anything for it. You see, Paul sacrificed himself on the obstacles so that the obstacles wouldn't be in anyone's way. Think of a minefield. Think of someone walking uh, in front of you, willing to risk life and limb so that you might pass through in safety to the other side. That was Paul. Um, that is ministry. So uh, as we get into this, we've got to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Um, first of all, is this only for Paul? Uh, was he speaking as an apostle who no one else endures this? This is just my thing. Um, the answer is no, it's definitely more than that. All right, okay, well, then it's for the pastors. It's for the, the guys who get paid to do this, right? Uh, we've got to endure this. And I would say, well, yes, absolutely. Um, as an ordained minister of the gospel, I need to understand that verses 3 through 10, all that hard stuff, uh, that's what I signed up for. And, you know, as I, as I reflected on this, I, I sort of hoped that uh, on the first day of seminary class, we would pull this out and read this to seminary students and say, is this what you signed up for? Because um, if not, you might not want to be here. This is what ministry is. But then we have to go one step further. Is this for us? Commentators would agree it is a resounding yes, it is. We are a kingdom of priests We are all being equipped for the work of ministry, is what Paul says. And so what Paul is expressing uh, here in verses 3 through 10 is a normal part of Christian life. And so we can apply it. So I want to break down um, verses 3 through 10 for you, all right? So if you're able to look at it, I invite you to. It's actually amazingly poetic. He's really almost got a poem going on here. And there's three lines that make up uh, what I would call this poem. And each line has nine words or phrases um, uh, that, go, uh, that, that, that uh, give us a broader meaning. And, and this is how I would summarize it. In order to endure on mission, we must suffer pain with the Spirit's power out of a secure perspective. We must suffer pain with the Spirit's power out of a secure perspective, all right? So I want to break those three things down for us. Suffer pain. Look at the end of verse 4 and verse 5. Paul lists nine things. Afflictions, hardships, calamities. Uh, these are all things that mean to be pressed in on every side, uh, to, to feel pressure that's almost unbearable. Sound familiar at times, right? Uh, Then he goes on, beatings, imprisonments, riots. Uh, If you're following along in CBR in the book of Acts, we just read about it. This is Paul's life. 
being imprisoned, uh, uh, leading ri- or causing riots, um, being beaten for the sake of the gospel. Then he goes on, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. You know, Paul, he worked hard. He was a tent maker. He, he wanted to make sure there was never a burden on anyone he preached the gospel to. Suffering is normal. Now, I'm not saying that your suffering uh, is, uh, doesn't matter. I'm just saying that it is part of the normal Christian life. Suffering, it's a, it's a badge of honor, not just reserved for special people or uh, the, 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 the leaders. Suffering is redemptive. Suffering is redemptive. We are a people who are willing uh, to suffer with people and sometimes even for them. Suffering in their place so that they might find redemption. First Peter 4 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. He says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. One commentator says this, success is not the absence of suffering. It is the growth through suffering. So what about you? Have you suffered uh, on this mission uh, of being a, a believer? I know for some of us, uh, even uh, in any church, in our church, there's relational strife that you go through. Right? People uh, go through hard things, um, marriage is on the rocks, their faith wavers, their kids are going through hard things, and you are called on uh, to love on this person. You move towards them um, in community, and sometimes you've been on the receiving end of beatings. <laughs> Tried to pursue someone and they reject you. Right? Try to pursue someone um, and they treat you as if you are accusing them. Um, they turn on you in some ways. I know this happens. It's happened to me. Paul says, it's part of the deal. Maybe you're exhausted. You've poured yourself out. Stayed up late talking to a friend who's going through it, who's depressed, anxious, um, questioning life, lost a loved one, uh, going through sickness, serious sickness. Um, We give out of what we don't even have. We inconvenience ourselves, have people into our homes when we don't feel like it. (laughs) Why would you do any of this? Paul says, this is what it is to suffer for the gospel, and he says, you're in good company because your suffering is redemptive. So listen, Paul says, in order to be on, uh, endure on mission, we suffer pain with the Spirit's power, with the Spirit's power. So I want to talk about that for a second. Verses six through seven, commentators all agree that the very middle of the nine things he names here is what? The Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit is the source of those things he names, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, genuine love, all of these things. This comes from the Spirit because Paul was convinced that his source of strength in the midst of all of his pain was not himself. His source of strength uh, was somewhere else. He w- Paul, there's no one who bragged more about what? Being weak. He, he said his power, uh, his power to endure pain comes instead from the Spirit. It was the spirit that allowed Paul to live uh, this pure life. It, the knowledge that he has of the gospel comes from the spirit. The way he genuinely loves the Corinthians with patience and kindness, that is all the spirit. Uh, the, way, the, 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 the power and the weapons of righteousness he has, that's all from the, the, the spirit. Weapons that have divine power, he says later in 2 Corinthians, to demolish strongholds. What about us? Are we enduring pain with the Spirit's power? I think most often the answer is no. 
I think most often um, uh, we suffer, uh, we endure pain in our own strength. So let me tell you something. I want to make something very clear to all of us. I am weak. You are weak. We are all weak. Weaker than we could ever imagine. Men, you're weaker than you think. We don't like to hear that, but listen, we have been sold a lie uh, that we are strong. One of Satan's greatest weapons is to convince us uh, that we have a strength uh, in us uh, that's inside of ourselves, that's dependent on ourselves. No, you don't. No, I don't. I am the strongest when I'm on my knees, uh, depending on the Spirit's power. Paul, you could say, was one of the most powerful men to ever walk the earth, and yet what it was the one thing he was convinced of, I am the weakest of all. When I am weak, then I am strong. God's power made perfect in my weakness, right? And so, um, if we don't suffer uh, pain uh, in the Spirit's power, you know what happens? Uh, we become addicted. We hide. We become bitter. Uh, we become angry. We are impotent. We become burnt out and might even leave faith, right? But I want to be real practical, Okay. But what does it mean to uh, suffer with the Spirit's power? Because for some of us, as I say that, this is what we think. I just need to walk around with, God is working everything out for the good. No, that is not uh, what I mean. That is fake. I don't believe that is what God is calling us uh, to. Suffering in the Spirit's power means bringing your weakness to him in honesty uh, and transparency. When uh, people hurt us, we share that pain with the Spirit. Uh, when uh, we feel pressed in on every side, we share that pain with the Spirit. When we're afraid to share our faith, we share that with uh, the Spirit. When you want to wring somebody's neck because they just are making crazy decisions, you bring that to the Spirit. Tell them about it. I promise you, he will minister to you. Don't try to be patient. Tell the Spirit why you are so impatient and watch what he does. Watch him transform your heart. I can tell you because he's done it to me. This is what it is to be in the Spirit's power. And I believe that the church in many ways has become impotent, has become powerless because we are unwilling to suffer. But it's the Spirit's power becomes unleashed um, as we suffer. So um, we endure uh, on this mission uh, by suffering uh, pain with the Spirit's power Uh, out of a secure perspective. So now look at verses 8 through 10 with me. Listen, Paul has the right glasses on. That's what he has. His vision is 2020. Can we say that anymore? I don't think we can say that anymore, right? 2020 is no longer a good thing. His vision is clear, though. His view uh, is biblical. His view is set on the end. He has the perspective of knowing the future. It's secure. I know what it is. And he steps over there, and he looks back, and he sees his uh, circumstances and knows that's, uh, I, I have a perspective of knowing it's secure. And so what I'm going through right now, it's all based on where this is headed. That's his secure perspective. So it doesn't matter if he's honored or dishonored. That's not where he's trying to get his identity. It doesn't matter if he's slandered or praised. That's not his identity, right? So he can say, um, I'm treated as an imposter, a faker, a a lie, but I know I'm true. I'm treated as unknown by people, and yet I know I'm well-known by my God. 
I'm treated as if I'm dying or punished by people, but I'm alive in Christ. I am not uh, killed. He says, uh, you know, people feel sorry for me. They see me as sorrowful just walking around, but I have re- I'm rejoicing because I have uh, Christ. Um, he knows that uh, even though he's seen as poor, as having nothing, he says, I have the riches of the gospel and I'm giving them away uh, for free. He says, uh, I'm seen as someone who uh, has nothing, yet I know I possess everything because I have God. What glasses? What glasses are you wearing? What glasses am I wearing? Are you nearsighted? Are we only able to see the pain and suffering that's right in front of us? Paul's invitation is see the end and look back uh, through that lens. See that you are on uh, and with uh, the God of the universe. Having a secure perspective is what keeps us going um, in ministry. So uh, to end that point, I would say again, in order to endure on mission, we must suffer pain with the Spirit's power and from a, a secure perspective. That is exactly how Paul defended his ministry, uh, to endure uh, with uh, and through affliction. So second, and this is it, Uh, my final point is to uh, have open hearts in affection. Open hearts in affection. Verses 3 through 10, uh, one one commentator would say that what Paul is doing here is just spilling his guts to us. He's just sharing everything um, that is going on. He's, this is what I've done. Uh, I've gone through hell to make sure that you would have heaven, make sure that you understood this gospel, to know that Jesus died for you and rose again for you. And then in verse 11, he says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. So Paul is kind of giving them a peek behind the curtain. Now he's not just giving them a message. He's, sent, he's telling him, uh, their, them his heart uh, behind it. He's saying, I am being vulnerable and telling you I've been put in a vulnerable position by this. And yet I want to let you know, you may have thought you knew my motive. You may have thought I had some different motive. Uh, but make no mistake, my motive has simply been that you would know this Jesus that I know. That's it. And so that's why in verse 12, he follows it up and says, but, but you're restricted. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Affections is this word that literally is your bowels, <laughs> um, but it's translated often as heart. It, it means uh, the deep seat of emotions, place where, where, where we experience love, where we experience compassion, where we experience um, empathy. And so Paul is saying, I, I, I have been vulnerable with, with you, but in return, you Corinthians, you've stood like this. You've been distant. You've been dissatisfied. You've been distrustful of me. You're holding back, even though I'm, I'm giving you everything I possibly can. And so in, in, in verse 13, that's why he asks, in return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Widen your hearts also. Paul is saying, I open my heart to you, so will you please open your heart back to me? Don't hold back. Don't hold back, Corinthians. Don't sit there with your arms folded. Come to the table. We can disagree. It's okay, but let's disagree together. Let's be in this uh, together. Don't go behind my back, Paul says, and talk about it with others. He's saying, listen, our relationship is built on a solid foundation. That I am a sinner, Paul, saying, just like you. I've been saved by grace, just like you. And I'm becoming like Jesus, one step at a time, just like you. So no matter what happens, we can fall back on that foundation, right? That's what Paul wants them to see, and yet they're struggling to do that. So... I think this begs uh, us to ask a question about church culture. 
at large, just capital C church everywhere. I'm not just talking about our church. But this begs us to ask, how do we open our heart wide to one another? We, we, we ought to be a place where there's a unity that binds us. We truly are blood brothers and blood sisters because we're united by the blood of Christ. So it's, it's this, the church is this place where we can be for each other. I have your back, you have mine. And it's not a spineless sort of acceptance like, let's sing Kumbaya. It is a, uh, a, a, an absolute truth type of, uh, uh, of unity. And so being for you uh, and, and you being for me means that we can talk the truth to each other. We can tell each other the truth when I see you in danger. But we live in a time, right, uh, where we don't have a stomach for truth-telling. Uh, we live in a time uh, where we call that judgment and control and everything else. And we live in a time where if I see you running out into traffic uh, and there's cars coming at you, um, oftentimes the response is, well, that's your truth. Those are not real cars, <laughs> right? Uh, that is where we've gotten to. And so when someone tells us something hard, what do we do? Run away. So we don't have to stay around. And so I would say, as a church, not just New City, but as a whole, let's not do that. Let's choose a different culture where we open our hearts wide to one another, trusting that our motive is to love one another. Now, some of us, we love to tell the truth. <laughs> And we love to do it with a big stick, right? And so to you, uh, to those of you who are in that camp, I would also caution you um, to the next time you're ready to go in on somebody and tell them the truth is to ask, what's my motive? Is it to be right or is it to be loving? And if it's to be right, I think you should keep your mouth closed and wait until the spirit has changed your motive, right? But we are a culture, we are a church culture where we tell the truth. Let me say some more about church culture. Being a leader in the church right now is essentially impossible. It really is, right? We live in this uh, a culture right now in our, in our world uh, where uh, everything is completely polarized. Uh, and so we've reduced everything uh, to two camps, right? We know this. You're either this or you're that. There is no other option. That's how we're doing life right now. We've all agreed that's how we're going to do it. So on every topic... It's either this or it's that. And so as we listen to each other talk, we're listening for those like code words. Oh, I hear it. You're that. Or, oh, I hear you. Now you're that, right? And so this, what this does, we, we are able to categorize each other. And then once we've done that, then I can dismiss you if you don't agree with what I think. And isn't that, isn't that sad? Isn't that slightly immature of us? So I'd say as a church, again, not just New City, but broad culture, Let's not do that. Let's open our hearts wide to one another and come to the table um, together. You see, our culture as a church, and again, the broad seed, big church culture, is what either puts obstacles in the way of people seeing Jesus or takes those obstacles out of the way. And let me tell you, I think the way we're handling a lot of things right now, the pandemic and race issues and politics, um, we're putting obstacles in people's way. Now, I'm not saying that if we came down on the right side of, uh, of wearing masks or not wearing masks that somehow the obstacles go away. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if we come down on the right side of politics. No pun intended. Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah, all right, there we go. Uh, that uh, that would take the obstacles away. I'm not saying if we articulated something perfectly about race issues that that would take the obstacles away. What I'm saying is this. The way we are handling these things is making us look 
like Paul said, some children. <laughs> right? Uh, this, is, uh, this is why Paul would say, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts. Unfortunately, uh, the church as a whole is, is not really a witness right now of the reconciling power of God. We sort of look like children, taking our ball and going home, hardening our hearts towards one another. So I would say this. Let's be about a culture of widening our hearts towards one another. And that's why Paul says, I believe, in verse 14, he follows it up with, don't be, un- don't be yoked unequally uh, with unbelievers. The way these are connected is because he's saying, listen, as Christians, we have this gospel foundation of being for each other, of being united in Christ. So don't unite yourself with unbelievers because when you do that, you should expect your heart to be trampled on and to be led astray. But we together uh, can be uh, in this together. Now, what kind of, what does this take? What does it take to have a culture of wide open hearts? Lots of risk. It's very risky, right? It's risky to open your hearts to other people because you're opening yourself up to the very thing that Paul said, pain, suffering pain. It's easier to wall ourselves off. It's easier to not take a a chance on loving someone who's hard and difficult. It's easier to not be on mission. But I actually think there is a a deeper uh, and worse risk in walling ourselves off. A dead heart. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. It's behind me. They're amazing. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So friends, let's not allow the risk of enduring pain. Let us give way to the risk of a dead heart. Let us open wide our hearts to one another. How would you do that? How? How do you do that? Why would you do that? Because Paul tells us at the end, we have been made the living temple the temple of the living God. You look at verses 16 and you look at verses 18. I, God, will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I, God, will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, friends. Listen to me carefully. This passage says that the God of the universe, the God who made the heavens and the earth and everything in it, the God who is holy and hates sin, has opened wide his heart toward us. His heart is open so wide to us that he says, I am your dad and you are my children. That is a heart wide open with affection. But we know, we know that this affection came at a great cost because God closed his heart to his only begotten son, Jesus, on the cross And instead of opening his heart with affection, he opened it with wrath, pouring it out upon his own son, pouring out on the spotless, blameless lamb. 
And this is the act that purchased you and I a spot in the family, sons and daughters. And so this is the gospel message for which Paul and for which we become willing to risk everything. So family, brothers, sisters, you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. He has opened his heart wide with affection for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. I ask that all of the words that have come from my mouth uh, would fall to the ground if they are not from you. Lord, will you help us uh, to uh, endure the mission that you have called us on by, ex- by suffering pain with the Spirit's power from a secure perspective? And Lord, will you help us to open wide our hearts to one another because you in Jesus Christ have opened heart your wide to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.